I am amazed at how our desire to look right consumes us. Uh, we're, we're, we're caught up in whatever is the latest fashion in clothing, whatever is the most popular palette color for our walls, the freshest look in floor coverings, and of course, we need the newest advance in technology, even if that just means that the iPhones or your cell phone comes out with a new bright color that you just have to have, or you walk into the store and you see the TVs, the newest concaved, curved screen, 4K HD crispness, and you think, man, it just got to have that look. When you see them in the store, everything looks amazing. Because in our minds, the right look is important. When Elsie and I got married, our first apartment in the St. Louis area featured avocado green appliances and deep pile stringy shag carpet. I even put shag carpet in my 1973 eight-track equipped green Ford Pinto. <laughs> that one's actually nicer than mine. All right, that's, that's an upscale model there, but it's same color. Wow, we were in style. And I hope that style never comes back again. <laughs> when you think about the right look, we usually think of how others view us and their perception of how we look, that we've got the right look. But that's not the only way to use the phrase. As a matter of fact, that's not the intent of this message. The right look can also describe the right focus. I want to look at things from the right perspective. And where should we be looking if we are concerned about the right look at the beginning of this new year? Now, I realize that January 1st is just another day on the calendar. But we tend to view the beginning of a new year as an opportunity to start fresh. We consider it a special day. It's a holiday for a lot of folks. This new year that we're entering, like every previous year, will bring ups and downs, laughter and tears, frustrations and joys. So on this first Sunday of 2016... How do we prepare ourselves, our minds, our hearts, our spirits for what all lies ahead? Well, I would suggest that we make sure we have the right look. Not what other people see, but what we see. Are we looking in the right directions? Psalm 121 is a great psalm for the start of a new calendar. Now, many psalms were set to music, and this one is no exception. As a matter of fact, Psalm 121 was one of the psalms of ascent, or the songs of ascent. There were 15 in, in total, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and they were sung by Jewish travelers as they made their way from their hometowns to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the, the, the three annual major feasts, Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Day of Atonement. Think of these as pilgrim songs. A pilgrim was one who was on a journey of faith to worship God with thousands of others who were of like mind and heart on the same kind of pilgrimage. Now they are called songs of ascent because people came from their hometowns and they followed the valleys and they followed the riverbeds and everything to the city of Jerusalem, which was set up on a hill. It's Jerusalem and the temple were built on Mount Zion. And so you literally ascended the hill into the city to worship. And so they were the songs that would be sung as the people journeyed and as they made their trip up the hill into the city of Jerusalem. 
Mary, Joseph, and the 12-year-old Jesus would have sung these very psalms as they made their pilgrimage to celebrate the Passover. That's when Jesus got accidentally left in Jerusalem and put his parents into a panic. Jesus and his disciples would have sung these very songs in the three-year ministry as they journeyed back and forth to Jerusalem, always to celebrate the major feasts of the year. Psalm 121 only has eight verses in it. And it breaks down into four main courses, each one of which gives us a direction. So as we take a look at these courses this morning uh, and, 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 and how it points us in the right direction, we will get a glimpse at the right look for 2016. The first course is look upward, verses 1 and 2. Now picture, picture a weary traveler rounding a bend in the valley and catching his first glimpse of the city of Jerusalem and the temple off in the distance on a hill. It would have caught his breath and he would erupt it in song like this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, the authorship of this psalm is not listed. It may have been a psalm of David. We don't know. Very likely it could have been. But it could just as easily have been written by a Jewish exile in the land of Babylon, looking longingly back to the homeland and the hills of Judea. Or it could have been written by a soldier or a military leader in the valleys of battle, longing for the hills of home. Or maybe it was written by one who was going through the tough times of life, through the valley experiences, looking up and longing for help. Regardless of the writer or the occasion, the message is still the same. When you walk through the valleys of life, look up. The Lord has promised to provide his help. Now, why is it that when we think of the Lord, we think of up? Why is it that God is always seemingly associated with the mountains or the hills? Maybe it's because some of the greatest victories in the Bible occurred on mountaintops. Mount Ararat, that's where the ark came to rest after the great flood and life began all over again. Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments and the law were given to Moses. Mount Carmel, where the lone prophet Elijah went up against by himself 450 prophets of Baal and once and for all proved as fire fell from heaven to consume the sacrifice that there is only one God and he's the God of the Israelites. Mount Horeb, where God appears to Moses in a burning bush and calls him to become the great deliverer of his people out of Egypt. Mount Nebo, where God showed Moses the promised land before he took him home. Mount Zion, where the temple and the city of Jerusalem is built, and sacrifice became a foreshadow of what God was going to do through the person of his son with that sacrifice for our sins. Mount Hermon, the mountain upon which the transfiguration took place, where Elijah and Moses came back to encourage Jesus before his last mountaintop experience, which took place on Mount Calvary, that little hill on which the cross stood where Jesus died and changed everything. He is the Lord who provides the right help at the right time. When you're down, look up. There's another way that you could look at this that's a bit more symbolic. 
in the down moments of our lives, we must get our eyes off ourselves. And when you've got your eyes off your, on yourself, the only really way to look is to look up, to find help or inspiration. And so I lift my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I, I think, at least at this point in my life, my, my favorite mountain range is that one section of the Rockies called the Grand Tetons. To stand in the shadow of those snow-packed peaks and to look up is just breathtaking. There is something so majestic about the mountains. It, it, is just, it almost takes your breath away and every view is slightly different and even more inspirational than the view right before it. Maybe that's what the psalmist is trying to say. That when, when you need inspiring, Look up to the mountains because it will take your breath away as you remember that the God we serve is the one who made the mountains in the first place. But I want you to remember, this does not seem to indicate that God only helps on the mountaintops. God is as much and is faithful in the valleys as well. There is a great story that comes out of 1 Kings chapter 20. Uh, the Israelites uh, at that day and time were, were being attacked by the Arameans. Now the Arameans are, are from the area which is now today in modern times the, the country of Syria. And Ben-Hadad, the king of the Arameans, was attacking Israel and, and the battle took place in the mountains and God had already told King Ahab, don't worry, I've got your back on this one. And so the victory went to the Israelites even though they had a much smaller army and the defeated Arameans went home and that winter they kind of regrouped and they got their heads together and they said, we, we don't get this. We had a much bigger army. We're a much more powerful army and yet they beat us. And the guys came up with this, this theory. Ah, we know the problem. The God of the Israelites is a God of the mountaintops. Next spring we'll go back and we'll fight them in the valleys and we'll fight them in the plains and we'll beat them to a pulp. Well, you can guess what happened. God isn't about to let the Arameans come back and beat up on his people thinking that he's only a God of mountaintops. And so when they came back in the spring, they had just as big an army as they had before and the Israelite army was as small as it was and they beat them even worse this time because God wanted his people to know that he's a God of the mountaintops, but he's just as much as a, a God of the valleys. It doesn't matter where you are in life, what's going on in your life. He is the God who has promised to provide and help. It's not about the mountains. It's about the God who made the mountains. And that's where your focus needs to be. That's where my focus needs to be. That's the right look. I mentioned earlier that the, uh, the new TVs in the stores, I mean, they just look incredible. But do, but do you realize it's all about the signal? You, you can have the, the best equipment that money can buy, capable of the, of the best screen resolution that's available to us today, but if the signal coming into your TV is a mediocre resolution, then the best your TV is going to be able to produce is a mediocre picture. Doesn't, it doesn't matter how good the equipment is if the signal, the source, isn't equal to the equipment. What's your source of help? Are you turning to the mediocre sources? Are you looking to yourself for help? I've tried that. It's a lousy place to look. Maybe it's a good friend or a non-Christian analyst 
or a self-help book. At best, at best, you're going to get a mediocre signal from a mediocre source. God, the maker of heaven and earth, has said, I will be there to help you. Your look needs to be on him. Do you ever, you ever have computer problems? I, I do. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's the equipment. Most of the time it's the user. But when it's the equipment... You know, you, you got to have some help. Wouldn't it be great if when windows on your PC went down, you could call up Bill Gates and Bill Gates would come and stand next to you and work you through Microsoft problems. I mean, after all, he's the creator of the company. He's the creator of Microsoft. Wouldn't it be great if Bill Gates would come? I'm here to tell you, Bill Gates won't come if you call. But the God of the universe, the God who created Heaven and earth has already promised to come alongside of you and help you whatever you need. Look up. And I love it that the psalmist doesn't end the psalm with that. He begins the psalm with that because that's the first place we look, not the last place. Look up. Here's a second look. Look downward. Verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here is the Lord's promise to provide us with a firm foundation, a solid rock. He will not let your foot slip, a sure footing upon which to build our lives. The Lord is trying to reassure us here that the spiritual enemy cannot slip in and uproot us that we are firmly planted. And to emphasize this promise, the Lord assures us that even while we sleep, he's on guard. Did you notice that? He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. As far as I know, all of God's creatures require sleep. The flamingo stands on one foot and tucks its head under a wing and snoozes. The opossum and the bat hang upside down. Birds have a locking mechanism in their claw so that when they latch onto a branch, it locks into place so that when they doze off, the bird doesn't fall off of the limb. Some creatures sleep best during the night. Some sleep best during the day. Some sleep best during a sermon. But regardless, <laughs> regardless, all of God's creatures need sleep. But God, on the other hand, doesn't. Nothing is more reassuring to a child who is trying to sleep, who's a bit anxious, than to know his or her parent is right beside the bed or laying down in the bed with them if it's a particularly tough time or just over in the next room. A child sleeps well when his father is close by. We can rest well knowing that our father is close by, that he's on call 24 hours a day. Now, here's some lessons we ought to learn from this. First of all, this is a graphic description of his greatness compared to our frailty. We have to sleep. God doesn't. It's a, it's a way of saying God has no limitations. We've got limitations. God has none. None. Here's something else. There are not many things over which it is worth losing sleep. And when you do lose sleep, 
it, it, it impacts you in negative ways. If you don't get enough rest, it creates irritability. And, and if you get even less sleep, it moves from irritability to mental confusion, to illogical decisions, to hallucinations, and then to behavior bordering on temporary insanity. The longer you go without sleep, the broader the scope of the ramifications. We simply cannot function without it. But one person staying up is enough. And if the Lord is going to be up anyway, why shouldn't I get some sleep? Why shouldn't you get some sleep? That's his point. Don't worry. I've got your back. I'm up. You get your rest. A third lesson is this. If you've not submitted your daily life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then what kind of a foundation are you building on? This verse says, he will not let your foot slip, but he's the only one that can really make that promise. When you build your life without him, you are building on the foundation of shifting sands or property at the base of an active volcano. I'm encouraged by these biblical terms for God. He is the rock of my strength, my rock and my salvation, my rock of defense, the rock of my refuge, the rock in a weary land. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. And as the old hymn puts it, he is the rock of ages. On those days when you feel a little shaky, look down and see where you're standing. If you're standing on a shifting foundation, you better find a way to move out of there. But if you're standing on God's truth, he'll get you through. Are you building your life on a solid foundation of right instead of wrong? On good choices instead of bad choices? Because the one will get us all gooed up if we don't move on to a solid foundation. Psalm 40 verse 2 says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, the goo. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. So on the shaky days of your life, look down. See where you're standing. God is the rock upon which your foot will not slip. Third thing, look outward. Just look around you at the creation that God has made. Verse 5, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. If there is a recurring theme in this passage, it is this. The Lord watches over. Five times in these eight verses, that phrase occurs. This psalm could literally be called God's watchful eye. The Lord watches over. And notice what simple things he uses to demonstrate such profound truths. He says, the Lord's care is like a tree. Now, we here in southern Indiana, where trees are resplendent, don't really appreciate this. We just kind of gloss over it. But if you're in a very arid land, if you're in a, in a place where it's really hot, a tree becomes an incredibly valuable commodity. Once again, we see the psalmist hinting at the 24-hour care that the Lord provides, both day and night. To put it into 21st century terms that we might understand, the psalmist could have said, the Lord is my air conditioner on a humid summer day and my electric blanket on a cold winter night. Now, saying the same thing, it's not nearly as poetic as the psalmist puts it, but you get the point. The psalmist said he is like the shade of a tree during the day. You see... Too much heat or too much sunlight is not good for us. Too much sun can fade colors, destroy crops, 
make something soft, something hard, and in your own body, it can create an upset stomach, it can give you a headache, it can give you a sunstroke, it can create skin cancer. Too much sun without a break is not good. In life, too much heat isn't good either. I found that in the pressure-filled times of life, there is comforting refuge in the Lord. Too much heat emotionally or mentally or spiritually isn't good. Some of you may have experienced some of that stress over the holidays or the anxiety that comes as family gathers around. Too much pressure in life can fade a person's gold convictions to just plain yellow or can destroy commitment to the things that really matter or harden the heart when it ought to be soft to the love of God. Too much stress can cause a nervous stomach. It can bring about headaches. It can weaken the immune system. It can exacerbate any disease you happen to be battling. So look outward and watch for God's ways to bring some help. Uh, look to a good friend that God has placed in your life. Uh, join, if you're not a part of a life group, get involved in a life group this year. All right? You, you need that reflection. You need that care that comes from being with other Christian people. You can sign up for a life group this morning right outside at one of the kiosks. Uh, look for a little bit of good news in an otherwise bad news kind of a day. Look for something funny that makes you laugh. The smile of a grandchild. If you don't have a grandchild, borrow a grandchild. All right? Their smile can wipe away all kinds of stress and anxiety. If yours live far away, Skype them and just say, I need a smile today. Send me a hug across the airline airways. Look to the shade of a tree. This summer, when it's really hot, just step under a tree and notice the difference. God says, my help, my care is like that. Last thing, look forward. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. There is nowhere you can go. There is no thing you can do that is hidden from God. And he has promised to keep you from harm wherever you go. Now, the minute we read that, the minute we read that, people always say, well, I don't get that. Look at all the bad things that are happening around the world. Look at all the things that happen to good people. If God says, I will, I will keep you from all harm, how is that promise being fulfilled in the world that we see today? And here's our problem. We always want to take everything in the scriptures and make it physical. I will keep you from physical harm. He doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's not what he's talking about here. I don't think it's spiritual or physical harm. I think it is spiritual harm. The Lord will keep us from spiritual harm. By the way, that's the most important one. That's the one that determines eternity. I mean, no matter what kind of physical help God may give us, that's short term when you consider that we're only here 70 to 80 years. If we could see the whole picture, maybe we would stop asking the question, why so much? Maybe we would realize it's a bit irrelevant. But God has promised to keep us from spiritual harm, and that's great news. Author Eugene Peterson writes this. It's, it's a rather lengthy quote, but it, but it is so good. I want you to, I want you to see it. <clears throat> The Christian life is going to God. 
In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know that we are ruled by God and therefore no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. When he says, I will keep you from all harm, he's talking spiritually. And I will guard your coming and your going. Our ultimate going, of course, is death. When I turned 60 a few months back, this new decade brought with it a sharper focus. I, I'm always amazed that with the passing of years and aging, the eyes grow weaker, but the eyes of the soul grow sharper. It brings certain things into mind that may not have been there before. Now, I, I certainly don't consider 60 to be old. Uh, people who are in their 80s tell me, I'm, just, I'm still a pup. And I'll take that. My grandkids, on the other hand, want to know what Noah was like and whether I helped build the ark or not. So I realize that age is a perspective kind of a thing. But at 60, I, I, my focus is a little sharper on what it means to look forward, realizing that probably is more in the past than what lies ahead. Every passing year in this world reminds us that we have both a coming and a going. And no matter how strong our faith is, the thought of going is not a pleasant one. It's around us daily, and yet we pretend that it doesn't exist or that we will never have to face it or we won't have to take this journey. How can we be so naive? And since death is a common journey to all of us, should we make plans for the trip right now while we have the chance? And doesn't it seem logical that if we've never been down this road before, it'd be nice to have a guide, somebody who's been down the road before us and has come back to lead us home? I, I, I only know of one who's done that. And, and he's the one I want to look forward to because he can lead me down this path where I've never been. After all, he guards our coming and our going, both now and as we step across the threshold into eternity. A lady that was a part of our congregation several years ago by the name of Bessie Rush told me about being with her aunt, the aunt who had the most impact on her life as a Christian on the day that her aunt died. And um, the, Bessie told me, I, I wrote this down because it was one of those things that, that I wanted to stick in my mind. Uh, Bessie had been holding her aunt's paralyzed right hand all evening long. Now, her aunt's entire right side had been paralyzed for some time due to a stroke. And, and Bessie noticed a change in her breathing and she whispered into her aunt's ear. She said, Aunt Betty, do you see Jesus? Is he calling you? And then Bessie said, in that moment, in that moment, her aunt with this paralyzed right hand jerked Bessie's hand to her heart. She let out a cry of victory. A tear rolled out of her right eye. And a smile crossed her face. 
and she was gone. I love pictures like that. I love stories like that because it reminds me that God guards our coming and our going both now and forever. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to look forward because God is already there. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. Never have been. But I am big on God's Word. And so this is how we're going to end this morning because I believe better than any resolution is putting God's Word in your heart. I'm going to ask all of you to stand with me. And we're going to read this psalm, Psalm 121, out loud in unison in its entirety. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore.